This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, the government's preparing for possible cyber attacks from Russia. Hank the Hacker, the ethical hacker, tells us how Russia and other states are mobilizing their digital armies and how Canada needs to organize its own. Yes, we are concerned, by the way, that this hasn't happened already, just to be clear. Have you noticed food is getting smaller? Well, you're not imagining, uh, you're not imagining things. Consumer watchdog Edgar Gorski tells us how shrinkflation is a thing. What is it? And how companies are getting away with it by being sneaky. And are you okay with falling into a vat of chocolate? All of that and more here on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to The Shift. The headline at globalnews.ca says this, Canada on high alert for cyber attacks from Russia. Others, minister. (laughs) Punctuation doesn't translate quite the same way. Uh, But that being said, I think you get the point. And uh, our guest right now to chat about this is Hank the Hacker, our buddy, the white hat hacker. Um, he's like the locksmith, right? Like a locksmith could really break into your place easily, but they, they basically sign a blood oath that says, I'm one of the good guys. That's the difference between a black hat hacker being the bad guys and the white hat hacker, uh, being uh, Hank the hacker. Now, I, I think we need to get you like a top hat, Hank, like a white one for every time you come <laughs> on the that. shift. Hey, I signed the it's, blood oath. You signed the blood oath. Well, Give how you been, buddy? Hat. Uh, it's busy in the world of, of hacking these days. Um, Maybe you can help us understand why Canada's on high alert, or are we actually? You know, it, it's great that you say busy in the world of hacking because it's there's. Ne- I always tell people like that, always a new idea, never a dull moment, and uh, we we see that never more than now with uh, Canada kind of, I guess, prepping themselves or, or getting ready for any kind of impending cyber attacks. Further to what we've we've already seen with. Uh, since the start of the the invasion with Russia. So um, I think that we've chatted, shared here on the shift many times about, you know, people hacking into things, breaking in, breaking the locks, getting in. Um, I think one of the best examples of that was that pipeline down in the the southeastern U.S. last year that they basically got control of that pipeline. Things like power plants, hospitals, subject to ransom attacks we're going to lock down all the computers in the hospital therefore you can't do hospital things and this is the kind of stuff that that we're seeing but when we talk about these espionage based things like let's go let's imagine the most nefarious of the scenarios in international kind of warfare stuff what are we looking at truly well i you know i think what we're starting to see a lot more of is kind of the insider jobs that are happening. And so threats or or people attacking a a critical national infrastructure from, from the inside or from a trusted position. And I I think that even speaks well to um, Canada's uh, cyber security service with their warning towards uh, keeping an eye on on critical infrastructure and making sure that um, people aren't hiring, uh, for example, like Chinese national uh, foreigners or uh, someone who who might have the potential of of working with with uh, a nation state sponsored group. 
how does it impact us? Are we talking? I mean, we've seen things like, um, I guess through even COVID, right? We've seen what happens when we don't have enough PPE. We've seen what happens when we don't have enough computer chips for computers and cars. We've, we've seen all of these things out of the war scenario. And in a, one of the things that blows my mind is um, the things like computer chips, right? If, if they were to build rockets in the world today, these rockets need computer chips. In fact, some of them need like a bunch of computer chips. So you can't build rockets unless you can get the computer chips, which are being made in other countries. So that doesn't add up to me in this conversation about what war looks like. But if we, if we are talking about access to things and someone gets control, how do we how do we limit that control or how do we say that we're on high alert to be able to you know protect against it when it seems like we can't protect against it on a normal day well i i th- i think the you know in terms of cybersecurity the the impact and especially within this next year uh, i th- i expect it to be significant and um, you know, we're already seeing Russia clearly weaponizing food markets and, and but also the digital space and things like semiconductor production, which is what what we would, you know, kind of attribute to the, the big chip shortage and, and the increase in in cost for electronics. And I think that um, it it again it speaks well to the fact that we should start being trying to produce these things locally, but also try and address the fact that there's only a finite number of trusted experts in Canada and, and in, in the U S to, to check these systems for integrity and, uh, and, and make sure that they're safe. One, one of the biggest problems that we see in, in all these, these articles is, companies suffering from ransomware attacks and and it's a lack of not just preparation but i I think most critically detection and analysis like the the need to the need to address the the shortage of skilled cybersecurity personnel to counter these kind of cyber threats is more apparent now than than it ever has been hmm I guess I don't even know, you know, what this looks like. You know, the the philosophers will say you don't know what you don't know. And how how do you get how do you get into that part of this conversation as a as a computer science kind of guy, Hank, where where you go and you you look at that, where you've got to get access to things, you find those holes, you find the open window, and let's just use at least the metaphor of a house. The front door might be locked. The back door might be open. The back door might be locked. The window might be open. The upstairs sliding door could be open. I mean, does it take does it take a human error to do this only, or is the software because we hear about patches and things all the time where the software is incomplete? So, you know, I, if we don't know what we don't know and the threats are there, then how is it possible to how is it possible for us to to pull this off? I, I think I'm going to quote another uh, philosopher um, with with Kevin Bacon and uh, or Frank, Francis Bacon, sorry, and that's with like knowledge is power, and with that is just being aware and and having awareness over these things, and and not only training but even at home you can monitor cyber threats and active attacks by looking up live cyber threat maps um but you can go a step further and you can even check your own threat landscape and do things like 
searching your IP address on Shodan. I made a post earlier on my Facebook page that we can share later on the shift uh, yeah. group that just helps you look and see if you have any exposed cameras or exposed devices online uh, or even using services like haveibeenpwned.com uh, to see if any of your passwords are exposed online. Uh, well, that's a good one to do, absolutely, because you can see right there um, what some of the old ones are, um, the basics for, for our house. I, I guess that we sort of look at this two ways. You know, people are going to want to steal money, that's for sure. And and if things like access to doing business and, and war things really get in the face of everybody, then there's going to be more, you know, crooked action of people stealing things. People get distracted and emotional. They don't pay attention. Then you get into the other part of it. And I imagine in Russia, we hear about troll farms and all these things. And troll farms fundamentally have been, you know, um, these marketing things, right? It's, they're, they're marketing their way through some agenda that they're trying to fulfill by changing an outcome, you know, foreign interference, I suppose would be the phrase. But how does it work? I mean, do, do, do these countries just go on to the, the dark web places and say, Hey, we're, you know, with the indeed of dark web version and say, we're looking for someone that can break into the, um, transport Canada and shut down all the airports. Like, uh, it's not like, it's not like you could just post that job on a job site. And I'm sure that there's not just some big factory floor with a bunch of hackers trying to break into this super, super spy nefarious thing. Like, how do people find that? Because it's like the government hires the bad guys or are they the good, they're good guys for that government, but they're bad guys for this government, right? It's it's interesting to think about uh, what a cyber army thinks or looks looks like. And, um, you know, if you, if you Google Chinese cyber army, you actually will see these floors just full of people that are sitting on a computer. And that's, that's all they do is, is there, there's nation state sponsored groups that, uh, their, their only goal is to try and attack CNI or, or critical national infrastructure. And that even goes all the way across the whole globe with these, these global kind of, uh, hive minds. If, if, if you'll say, and uh, a great example most recently would be with um, Zelensky making that kind of digital army online and kind of making a call to action on Twitter for just anyone to join in and attack anything that they point them. I think that, uh, you know, while that's all perfect with with supporting Ukraine. I think that that's also part of what what is kind of instigating these reactions from Russia against Canada with these cyber attacks and people just kind of, um, you know, the operational security in a global team might not be as high as the operational security in a nation state sponsored team for obvious reasons, and because of this, it's very obvious where some of these attacks are coming from to Russia. Not so obvious to us where these attacks are, are hitting us from when Russia attacks back. We might not even know in some cases for a few years. Right. Uh, yeah, right. Someone's got access to the key and, and they go look quietly and maybe save the key and, and move along. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. I went and looked in and, and took your advice and took a little search about the Chinese cyber army. And there are all these PLA authorized forces, non-governmental forces, semi-civilian, all these different 
things online about this. And this is what I imagine about Canada is that I actually had a friend who uh, works for the government in securities. Uh, it was my old neighbor. He's moved away now. And so the things he used to talk about, you know, were pretty basic firewall type access mm-hmm. things back then. Now, mind you, that was 10 years ago or so. So it was really, really becoming a thing. And, um, but I imagine this, I imagine like you describe in China, there are these sort of floors of these hacker armies. I imagine this is my Hollywood imagination though. I imagine in Russia, somehow they're in a sewer like the Ninja Turtles because they don't get a nice place to work, but they're a bunch of hackers that are there. And then in Canada, it like if we wanted to call our Canadian hacker army, I feel like, you know, we would dial a phone number and we would get forwarded to Best Buy, right? Like it's been subcontracted out to some geek squad and it's, it's just, you know, some retail storefront somewhere where they're like, yep, this is the security army. Thanks for calling. How can I help you today? Right. I don't feel like Canada, you know, I guess spycraft, they're not going to tell us, but what do you see inside the internet conversations? I mean, does anybody even talk about countries like Canada having any sort of defense for this? I, th- I think Canada's one of those kind of, and I'm sure we've all kind of heard this little joke before, but I, I think Canada's just kind of sitting in, in the corner watching. And I don't mean watching, not doing anything. I I think that Canada's actually got a lot of really good cyber talent, and I, I've seen it. I've seen a lot of, of the cyber talent that we have, not only in critical infrastructure, and and public services but but private services and private companies but um i think that uh having said that there's still that huge need to fill this gap in in employment for uh for cybersecurity professionals and i don't think that canada has one of those big uh, cyber army kind of rooms where they're all sitting there. And I think that's the problem. I think we need that as, as silly or as ridiculous as it sounds. Yeah. I, even I think back 10 years and I'm like that, it just, it would have sound it been unheard of, but mm-hmm. now it, you know, it, it doesn't seem too far off when you think of, you know, we have, uh, Navy, Army, Air Force, and very soon we're probably going to have cyber or digital. And uh, yeah. I don't think that's very far off. I think of that uh, that arm of the Air Force down in the States, which is a lot of subcontractors, but it's the drones, right? The drone pilots that are in Arizona yeah. that are flying drones. Um, you know, they dress up like military folks, but they're basically in a field going into trailers and containers. And so that's that's kind of what they get up to. So I do imagine that. Well, uh, Hank Fordham, Hank the Hacker, friend of the shift, giving us all the insights here. And I'll get that link from you, Hank, so we'll post that. Or you Absolutely. can post it up yourself. Um, I think you're admin anyway on the uh, on our Facebook group. Um, <laughs> Am I? If you're not, if you're not, you, I'm sure you can just make it happen yourself. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, and share that info on there. That would be super fantastic for you to do that. Um, can we get personal for one second? You want to talk about Ronnie for one second? Can we share a little kind story? Yeah, about- absolutely. Would that be all right? Absolutely. Um, Hank's Hank's background. If you don't know uh, Hank Fordham, Kelly J from um, Crowbar, Kelly J Fordham uh, was Hank's dad, and it was a couple years ago where um, Kelly passed away, and it was a stroke, and uh, Hank's dad passed away, and it was right around the time when we met. Actually, um, was when your dad passed. Now, because of the band Crowbar in the seventies, oh, what a feeling, and all those. You. Um, your, your, the people that you met as a kid that were just kind of hanging around 
were, were really cool people. The passing of Ronnie Hawkins. He had a Ronnie Hawkins. Um, he was around a lot. You got to you got to be around that. Tell me tell me how cool he was. Oh, I got to hang around some of the craziest names. I I remember when I got as as I kind of aged and got older, growing up with Mike, he would tell me about some of the people I met. Um, that you know I wouldn't remember at, at that time. And it just it blew my mind. But um, you know Ronnie Hawkins or the the Hawk. Uh, he he was I I really compare him to my dad he he was larger than life and he, he's just a crazy unique soul crazy unique person uh you know the stories that my dad told me about him alone and and kind of the history that they had with uh, meeting the Beatles and and a lot of the history that they spent in the Bad Manners and hanging out with Graham Greene, whom who I still get to talk to, um, it, it it's just crazy. But he he was an amazing person and like I said, larger than life and and lived a life and a half. When you uh, when when he passed away, you um you sent me a message because you'd heard us talking about Ronnie Hawkins on the show. And it was important to you that the good side of Ronnie Hawkins uh, was shared. If you could estimate, and I realize you're just kind of speculating without Ronnie Hawkins music, because of the network of your dad's background with crowbar and all that stuff, um, because of, because of Ronnie Hawkins leadership and mentorship, would Canadian music or Canadian stars that win international, do you, do you think it would even be anywhere near that if that guy hadn't so deeply invested in Canadians? No, uh, no, absolutely not. He, he he touched so much, so many different people's lives and and professional careers. Um, not only personal but professional lives. It it's in, incredible, and I don't think that uh, not only the Canadian music scene but the music scene globally would be what it is today without Ronnie Hawkins and and that goes without saying to anyone who knows the music scene uh mm-hmm. he's just he was a huge figure huge figure uh, so uh Kelly and Ronnie they seem to share style points you notice that as they got older that they <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> started to look a little bit alike right <laughs> uh yeah i guess age did that a little bit but it's also their humor and uh well obviously the the style of music as well but um like ronnie once said uh you know those boys could screw up a crowbar in seconds and that's where where my dad's band name came from so they they had a very close past as well so it wasn't too surprising to to see the similarities (laughs) Well, I know that he also didn't say screw up and you're censoring it for us. So thank you. For I that. am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Hank Fordham and his relationship through his dad, Kelly, the band crowbar and Ronnie Hawkins as well. Uh, thanks for sharing that personal part of your heart, buddy. It's great to see your face. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. This is the shift podcast. Why not? Let's get into, are you okay with? Are you, are you, are you okay? Okay. Okay. Are you okay with? 877-399-9898. That's our phone over here. It's the shift. And since we just beat up on the chocolate bars for the shrinkflation, let's have some fun with this one. Are you okay with chocolate? 
Chocolat. Oh, yeah. As much as we like to rip on it, I watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Or sorry, I attacked Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And 10 That's seconds. That's the Johnny Depp the movie, one, right? The Johnny Depp one, yes. I like seconds into the movie, I open up my little snack drawer and I downed half a thing of Hershey's uh, cookies and cream chocolate. Like it's just mm. instinct. It is delicious. And, you know, like dark chocolate has is not like, you know, if, if it's pure dark chocolate it's it's actually can have some health benefits and it's good uh but i'm you know you tell yourself that as you down exactly that's kind of like saying having a glass of wine at dinner is also good for you right (laughs) it has some benefits Mm -hmm. right but it's still still wine (laughs) 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 yeah all right in a scene reminiscent of willy wonka and the chocolate factory someone actually fell into a giant tank of chocolate Oh, uh, Augustus, please, don't do that. My chocolate must never be touched by human hands. Please, don't do that. Don't do that. You're contaminating my entire river. Please, I beg you, Augustus. My chocolate. My chocolate. My beautiful chocolate. Don't just stand there. Do something. Help. Please. Murder. (laughs) Okay. If you fell into a big vat of chocolate... Ooh, how much do you truly try to drink okay so you have I think, to do it right yes i i would need to gauge the severity of the situation if i like i can swim not like augustus in the movie right so if i can swim and i know that i can get myself onto shore like the Machaca river i'm taking a gulp or two 100 percent. i mean how could i not but if i was in danger mode I would first try to figure it out. And then if I couldn't and I was resigned to somebody needs to help me, I might as well pass the time by drinking chocolate. Right. Okay. Let me ask you this question. Cookies and cream is your chocolate bar. I like, like I, for, for the ones that have like, well, yeah, but it's it's one of the ones that has like squares where you break it off. Right. Yes. Um, let's like much like a caramel or a Kit Kat or something that is like breakable into pieces. Yes. So when you do that, do you break it into pieces and put it in one side of your mouth? Or do you break it into two pieces and put one in each side of your mouth? Because that, to me, uh, is what dictates if you love that chocolate bar. Wow. I've never thought of it that way before. I got to tell you. No, I, I think got I'm questions. just usually... Uh, well, I, got I, questions. I don't like, take one or two at a time. I take like a chunk of the bar and eat it. <laughs> okay. But when you eat it, do you chew it on one side of your mouth or do you split it in half and chew it on both sides? Because most food we chew on one side or the other side. But chocolate, I challenge that we chew on both sides. Uh, Do you get more flavor when it's on both sides? Uh, okay. I can't give you an honest answer because my brain is having a f- brain fart. But what I will do, uh, I always it's get Laura question. on the weekend a bar of lint chocolate, lint crunchy chocolate. I'm going to get myself one of those bars, and I will try your technique, and I will report back to okay. you. Okay. The lint chocolate balls, one in each cheek. One no, I'm not a chipmunk. No, just one at a time is fine. All right. See, yeah. but here's the thing. It's it's very it's it's a, it's a very hard conversation. It's I mean, surprised the internet hasn't grabbed onto this one. It's like when you're brushing your teeth. What do you do with your other hand? Like we don't know that. You don't know that. You're on your phone while you brush your teeth. Oh my god, oh, yeah. you are a millennial. Oh yeah, absolutely. What two minutes oh, of just staring at myself in a mirror? No, 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 no. All right. Well. Maybe that's a question that we can't ask a millennial. Anyway, <laughs> no. uh, back to the chocolate. My point is, is that if it tastes that good in your mouth, like you're filling your mouth hole, your face hole with chocolate, yeah. 
you're in the tank and you open your mouth just you're, you're you probably taste it and you're like oh that's pretty good and then you're like okay i i got a dunk yeah it's frothed up by the waterfall in uh, willy wonka's chocolate factory so right? it, you have to like because everybody wishes they could have an absolute yeah. overflowing mouthful of chocolate just once chocolate fountain yeah just once well, these two people were rescued after falling into a tank full of chocolate at the Mars M&M factory in Pennsylvania. We promise you this is a real news report, not something from a movie. Five o'clock breaking news we're following in Lancaster County. Emergency crews rescued two people from a chocolate tank at a Mars M&M candy facility in Elizabethtown. We know that firefighters had to cut a hole in that tank to free the workers. There's no update yet on their condition tonight. Why did they have to cut a hole if they fell in? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot going on in this story. So what I think happened is they fell into quite a deep tank and they were able to keep themselves like up swimming, but they couldn't climb up and nobody could get to them. So they, I think they drilled a hole at the bottom of the tank and let the chocolate drain out and they drained out through the hole. Is what I think happened. That can't, can't have happened. You're imagining it like a Hollywood movie where they went sliding out on their butt onto the front lawn. The, okay, so here's the thing. Here's the question: Is in that report, in that first report, there they said we are not sure if the tank was filled with chocolate when they fell in, but in the news story, in the writing which had been updated since, they had said they fell into a vat full of chocolate. So that, like, why would they cut a hole in it? To just drain out like a movie. Why wouldn't they drop a rope in and just lift him out? Right. See, and they even if the like opening when a firefighter was cuts a car uh, uh, in half, jaws of lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. But if they fell in, right? Like sometimes you know when someone, maybe a, a animal or a kid, gets their head stuck in the hand or like in the rail of a yeah. deck or something, and they can't get their head out. Um, you know, and you see the videos of the parents like buttering their. <laughs> head or whatever slide it up <laughs> yeah if they fall through a small hole into the chocolate tank they're covered in chocolate they're going to be even slipperier to slip on out the top so how is this i don't know right oh i found it i have a, okay here we go this is why this is why okay, they had it. to cut the hole in uh, the tank it was full of chocolate waist high so it wasn't high enough where they could have uh, you know, kept themselves swimming and then climb out. They were near the bottom of the tank, and they so they were able to cut the hole, and then the hole, the chocolate wouldn't have come spilling out because it was only waist high. But then they waste the chocolate. I mean, unless maybe it's well, like chocolate sale. I Here's mean, shavings, like, metal shavings. I don't think I would would want to eat chocolate that had factory worker in it. Well, you know, yeah, but like, you don't know that. You eat hot dogs, and that's all over the floor. Gets swept into a. Yeah, that's true. So, okay, so if you fall into a vat of chocolate that's only waist deep, do you sit down and dunk? I would. I would totally sit down. Would. Well, if, depending on the injuries, what I think it was must have been quite a big tank because one of the they're both taken to hospital in an ambulance, and the other in a helicopter. The, those helicopters and ambulance would have smelt great after they were in it. Um, so, oh, the so they clearly must were injured. Been, yeah, right. they were clearly injured. So if you're injured, unless they I had think to you would just fly in a helicopter I mean, to get your stomach are, pumped because you dunked your head into a vat of chocolate. There are worse places to be stuck after being injured. I mean, like, if I broke my arm falling, God, oh, I'm in so much pain. Chocolate. 
dopamine hit, dopamine hit. Keep my mind off of it. So I hope, I hope they had chocolate to eat, or that they like chocolate in the first place. Well, you'd think they were at the Mars M and M place. Yeah, I hate chocolate. I know where we should go: the chocolate place. Uh, let the chocolate melt in your mouth first. Texter from uh, Southern Manitoba yeah, says. Yeah, I do that. You can actually keep it in your mouth long enough. Yeah, it's, it's, like to it's, savor it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right now, I'm picturing Rick Moranis and Strange Brew. Mm, very good. Yeah. Another texter from uh, Southern Alberta. Sounds like a sweet gig. <laughs> <I like> that. <laughs> <laughs> very. Yeah, that's very good. All right. Okay, there you go. Well, um, the, the debate is settled, I guess. Yeah. I still think if I fall into a vat of chocolate um, and I... Oh, a heat injury. They were probably suffering a heat injury from melted chocolate. That could be it. Mm, be yep. Yeah. Imagine they were able to turn the heat off, but still, yeah. that yeah. It's not like it's going to cool down right away. No. And then no, the chocolate would get hard and you couldn't move. <laughs> but... <laughs> I still would want to come out like with only my face not being covered in chocolate. I yeah, I wouldn't want it. Yeah, I, you know, take some with it. I got to tell you, this is probably one of my favorite REOKs ever. This is just <laughs> you're thinking about it right people now. People fell into a tank of chocolate. Yeah. Well, let's hope they're okay. They did fly away yes. in a helicopter. Yes. So that's, uh, no uh, word uh, from this updated report I have here. No word on their condition. But when they were taken away, they were not in critical condition. So I'm sure okay. they're alive. But it might be a uncomfortable Isn't it situation. Amazing to think that the stories you could tell about that scar you've got after that. <laughs> How'd you? F what happened there? I fell into a tank of chocolate. Yeah. I was having. <laughs> Are you yeah. okay with? Nail polish. Nail polish. I, I tried it out for the first time in my life uh, last weekend. Um, just black. Uh, Laura did it. And uh, I got used to it pretty quick. It's It looks cool. It's fun. It's not a every yeah. week kind of thing for me. But uh, yeah. I, I like seeing nail art online. That's amazing. The mm -hmm. micro The tiny little pictures. Into nails. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whenever my daughter and I go for pedicures, uh, I let her pick my nail polish color from my toes. Yeah. From yeah. toes? Fun. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I only have nine toenails, so I always ask for a discount. What? They don't think it's funny. They only have so, nine wait, toenails. Wait, hold on. You only have... Do you have ten toes, or are you missing I do a have toe? Ten, I, no, I have ten toes. I just have nine toenails. Huh. It's one bald toe. <laughs> Old hockey injury, Ryan, from so long ago. All right. See, that makes uh, it, I figured. Uh, we've been painting our nails for thousands of years. Makeup companies are always, actually, the, I had it pulled out once with no anesthetic. You want to talk about pain tolerance and experience? Oh, Holy cow. Brutal. Um, makeup companies are always finding ways to revolutionize their product and how we paint our nails, but there is a challenger on the market that is new Velveeta cheese. <laughs> because <laughs> this, are you okay? Could not get more weird. They've decided that their time is now. They will be the ones to polish this industry and bring it into a new age with a new product. Uh, have you ever thought about the, the look or maybe even the smell of spilled cheese on your fingernails, right? Velveeta has teamed up with a London-based beauty brand, Nails Inc., to launch its first ever nail polish. <laughs> Hearkening to the timeless and classy appeal of Velveeta, 
The two polished collection is called Pinkies Out, really. The nail paint comes in a deep yellow color reminiscent of the gooey cheese product. It's also bright red for fans of the color used on Velveeta packaging. What could be better, right? If it maybe smelled like cheese on your fingers. You know, guess what? Velveeta's got you covered there as well. That's disgusting. Uh, that's ABC 23. Velveeta's known for its rich, creamy texture, cheesy, melty goodness. So what better way to bring this to life for our fans than with something equally as rich and creamy, nail polish, says Kelsey Rice, Senior Brand Communications Manager at Kraft Heinz Company. You imagine that meeting when they're like, let's come up with something wild. And someone's sitting there sniffing their fingernails going, I have an idea. <laughs> Genius. Although... Uh, it has brought back idea. the magic of Velveeta is cutting Velveeta with a, a thread, not a knife. Okay. Because then it doesn't get smushed. I learned that from my Faja. And uh, oh. because my dad has always been a big fan of the Velveeta, like he couldn't make a grilled cheese with a slice. And he loved like the really darkly burnt toast with cheese whiz or the Velveeta. He, he could not make a grilled cheese without Velveeta. So this could be from my dad, of all things. I should get him... I should get my dad Velveeta nail polish. He'd probably like that. I just wouldn't want my so, fingers to smell like cheese all the time. Yeah, that's gross. Hey, this has been the grossest Are You Okay of all time. So we will um, believe it there. Although, Ryan, you did miss one great opportunity about the falling in the bucket of chocolate that came in on text. Okay. And when they came out, the text says, did they look like Han Solo? Oh, and chocolateite, carbonite. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. See, it's pretty good. Dang it! Oh, well, that's what we're here for. Deep, insightful thought. It's the shift. I'm Shane Hewitt. We'll be right back. We're here for the night owls and the real early risers. This is the shift. This is the shift podcast. Quoted as being even more dangerous than inflation because it's sneaky. We don't know what's happening in the background. called shrinkflation and uh edgar is here edgar dworski is with uh well his own organization is consumerworld.org looking at all things shrinking edgar how are you i'm fine thanks for having me on the program yeah thanks for being here appreciate that one let's start with the basics for those who don't know what is shrinkflation well basically when a manufacturer is interested in uh, raising the price because they've got um more expenses, you know, higher uh, fuel costs, higher raw material costs. They've got two ways to do it. They can raise the price directly, or they can do the sneaky thing, make the product a little smaller. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what we refer to as shrinkflation. Taking a little inconspicuous amount out of the product as a backdoor way of raising the price. 
this is so important that we've seen it in all kinds of things. Chocolate bars is a great example for that. And I just recently learned and um, from you know some reviews about Toblerone being a, a really good example because what they've done is the Toblerone bar is the same size. There's just less mountains in it and more space in between. Um, seems kind of sneaky. Very clever. It is very clever. And the way that they go about it is quite clever too, right? Um, you know, 18 rolls of something, something turns into either 16 rolls or three quarters of the sheets on 20 rolls. And then they tell us now 20 rolls, but it's actually less sheets than when you used to buy the 18. I mean, it's rather amazing reading some of the claims on packages of paper goods 10 rolls equals 20, 20 equals 40. Um, and when you look at the fine print of that larger number, it says regular rolls. Well, yeah. regular rolls don't exist anymore. Yeah, what is a regular paper, roll? Paper products have been downsized so many times over the decades that they had to come out with a double roll and then a triple roll and then a mega roll. And the oh. new one is a super mega roll to give you one example charm um yeah. i remember mr whipple back in the 1960s when he was on television saying please don't squeeze the shaman the original shaman was single ply and it had 650 sheets on a roll the new packages of super mega are less than 400 sheets about 366 depending on the variety so that's what happened. They downsized it so many times they have to bring it back. And, you know, potato chip makers, that, that's another example. Snack foods where, you know, you used to have a one pound bag of potato chips and they went to 14 and 13 and 12 and 11 and 10 and nine. And then they say, oh, you know, we should bring back the big size, but they give it a fancy name. They'll mm. call it family size or they'll say party size. And it's back up, you know, 15 or 16 ounces, but not at the same low price it used to be. No, not two bucks, and uh, now it's eight ninety nine or something crazy. I I remember I remember when I was a kid, I was living on the west coast of British Columbia, and I remember the gossip between all the kids because the price of a can of soda was going to go up to fifty cents, and everybody was forty cents. I can't believe next summer it's going to be fifty cents, right? I, that was so long ago. Nothing's really changed except the consistency of the prices going up. Now, now the products are getting smaller. And the problem with product shrinking, most consumers we know are price conscious. They know if that container of orange juice went from $2.99 to $3.39. But they're not so conscious of the net weight or net count in the fine print. That's how manufacturers get away with it. So that orange juice, you know, used to be 64 ounces in the United States, half a gallon, nice round number. Then it became 59 ounces. You lost a glass of orange juice. And now they, you know, started doing carafes. And the carafes are only 52 ounces. You know, whatever happened to standard sizes? I've said for a long time, it's gone too far if I open that carton of eggs and there's only 11 inside. 
That's true. That's so true. And you know, I always think of a bottle of wine. A bottle of wine has that dent in the bottom because that's how you're supposed to pour it properly. But you started to see that. You talk about carafes of orange juice. You see these carafes of orange juice that are starting to get that bump in the bottom. That's plastic going up into the center, which takes away some of the available space for the product that's in it. So there are all kinds of sneaky ways. And I'm just going to call this, frankly, uh, here, is that when we when we talk about this, all of this, the eco conversation, let's be more responsible, let's recycle, let's, uh, you know, use less packaging, all those things. In many cases, these manufacturers are using more packaging to trick us and then somehow telling us that they're being more responsible or they will market it to us, the sort of greenwashing effect of, well, we've made it smaller, now less packaging, right? So they're actually using all of these wonderful social causes of us being more responsible in the world against us. Well, to two points, the classic example of peanut butter packaging, Skippy peanut butter always used to come in 18 ounce jars in the United States. They were plastic jars. Then they became 16.3 in 2008, I think it was. But the jars to the naked eye looked identical. How did they do that? They put an indent in the bottom of the jar. So basically, it was a hollow bottom. That's how it looked the same. But if you think about it, if you're getting less peanut butter, if you're getting um, less ice cream, you know, ice cream has been downsized from 64 ounces to 56 ounces to 48 ounces is the common size now. Um, you have to buy it more often. And that means more packaging, more waste. Downsizing is actually bad for the environment, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems obvious to me um, that that's the case. All right. So help us understand a couple of quick things before we let you go, Edgar. A couple of notables that stick in your mind of where we can watch out for this or maybe some of the grandest offenders, whichever way you want to take that. Well, paper goods tends to be a big offender besides snack foods that we we talked about before. Um, The one that's on supermarket shelves right now is Angel Soft Toilet Paper. The old rolls had 425 sheets on a roll. The new ones have 320 sheets, over 100 fewer sheets on every roll. In a six-pack, for example, you've lost 600 sheets. But if you go to the website, mouseprint.org, which is where I have pictures of all these items that have been downsized, the packages look identical. They, they claim they're 20% thicker. Well, that still doesn't account for losing the 100 sheets on each roll. So I don't know, maybe they didn't wind the rolls as tightly as before. So again, if you didn't pay attention, and now I'll give them credit, it, in really big letters, it's maybe an inch and a half or so high, it says 320. And the old one, inch and a half high, said, you know, 425. But that is kind of a major, major change. Um, there's just so many different items. Uh, cereal, honey bunches of oats from Post. The old packages were 14 and a half ounces. The new ones are 12. If you look at them side by side, the packages look identical. But you lost 17%. That's almost two bowls of cereal you lost in every package. How did they do it? Turn the packages sideways. They're now narrower. So to the naked eye on the supermarket shelf, no difference. So if you didn't pay attention to that net weight or the net count on paper goods, 
you just got snookered. Well, so many of those packages are still wasting, um, you know, material too. And, and potato chips is a great example. I understand. Let's put air in the bag to pretend the potato, protect the potato chips from getting crushed. But we don't need these gigantic bags of plastic with this much potato chips in the bottom. It's fascinating. Shrinkflation is the topic. Uh, make sure you check out Edgar's site, Edgar Dworsky. It is consumerworld.org. There is a long list of uh, things that you need to be aware of. Uh, centered in the United States, but as the next door neighbor, all safe learning for us. Thanks for being so generous and being here and fitting us in at the end of this very busy day for you, Edgar. I hope we can have you on again. Well, I, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Shane, for inviting me. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 